been, uh, like Justin pointed out, a little heavier uh, topic, a little heavier uh, you know, subjects to, because we're trying to be as real and, and authentic as we can. And, you know, sometimes life is just hard. Sometimes we just don't hear from God when we might be expecting uh, something that is just, it's just not what we thought it was going to be. And so we're, we're, instead of ignoring that and pretending like it's not there, we're just, we're gonna lean into it and see what the Bible says about it because if you feel that way, you're not alone. You're not alone. And not only do uh, people maybe currently feel that way, but have felt that way. People in scripture all over kind of feel this way too. And, and today we're, we're unpacking specifically, specifically that the feeling of like when hope is gone, when our, when our hope is gone and God doesn't care. Unpacking that, that feeling that when there's, there's, there's no hope and it feels like that God is so distant, doesn't care. And, and so there's, there's, you know, there's, there's hopeless and then there's hopeless. There's not all, you know, not, not all the same. Now, listen, I'm a, um, I'm a kind of diehard Blazer fan, so there's a little bit of hopelessness kind of woven into that. I remember uh, even looking at, um, even going to watch some Oregon Ducks games back in the day, and I remember we had our starting quarterback was out, and, and I remember that, you know, also in case the second string guy comes in, well, he gets hurt. Third string guy comes in, well, he gets hurt. And then, and then all of a sudden it's just, you know, it's like, oh, okay, so we got a guy who doesn't even know how to throw a football at this point. Like, that felt hopeless, you know? So there's, that's a hopeless feeling. It was, they lost. Probably wouldn't have won anyway if they, uh, you know, had him in. But like, you know, that's kind of a hopeless feeling. Not what we're talking about. Not that kind of. We're, what we're, what we're uh, kind of unpacking today is the more real and, and more, um, I, guess, I guess, more emotion-filled, more, more the deeper feeling, like hopelessness. Hopelessness is, is, is an emotion where there's no expectation for good or even that there, there can be a solution or a remedy to what I'm going through, right? It's that feeling like that I'm, what I'm in right now, what I'm feeling right now, I don't see a way out. I don't, I don't think, I, I, don't, I can't even fathom a way out of what I'm feeling. There's, there's no expectation in, in my mind that I could possibly crawl out, get out of this pit that, that, that I'm in. Could be self-imposed, could be not. Could be circumstantial, could be something you were, you were thrown into. That's the hopelessness that we're gonna talk about because that is the kind of hopelessness that feels overwhelming. That's, that's the kind of hopelessness that feels like, like there's just, I, like I can't, I, I can't do this. Like it's a feeling I can't do this. There's so many things that we can do. We you know, get education and learn how to do this. We can have experience and train to do that. We can, we can you know, gather resources to accomplish things. We can have enough money to pay for somebody to do something. All the things. But there's moments and situations in our life where we simply can't, we can't do it. And that's when the hopelessness really sets in it's the it's 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 a feeling of a, of a job where where you desperately need the finances but the job just wears on you and is destroying and putting you into a, into a depression and you just can't um you, you can't do it but you still need this it's that, that feeling that struggle it's it's the physical ailments where your body's given up on you and you don't know why it is but it's just it seems like your body's against you and and you don't see a way out of this it's a it's a it's a marriage that's struggling that you you feel like it's so toxic and there's so much let's in it that like how could God possibly 
be in this? Like, how could it possibly get better? Or, to, or, or how, there's, there's no way that that could happen. It's a relationship with a family, a friend. Maybe you even have an adult kid that you are estranged from that you're just like, there's no way that God could heal this relationship. There's no way that we could have this, that relationship that I so desperately want. And things are hopeless. There's no hope that they're gonna get better. And so we're gonna, we're gonna look at that, and it's, it's heavy. It's real heavy, and I don't wanna sit up here and pretend like, you know, they're, they're, like I have some sort of dramatic uh, you know, story that I, can, that I can pull from, but rather um, I do have scriptures and I do know God, the God that helps us through this, and so my, my goal is that we can unpack some, some, some of God's truth and see how that then applies or can apply to our life specifically when it comes to the, the idea of, of hopelessness. And so one of the things, one of the passages or, or books that I was kind of drawn to when looking at this, there's one that I kind of, and I want to say discovered, you know, way a long time ago, and it really kind of like latched onto it, but just really felt like it fit in this scenario as I was studying for it. I'm like, oh, this actually would be perfect. And it's, it's, uh, it's the book of Habakkuk, maybe one that you haven't spent much time in. Um, it's really hard to find in the Bible because it's, you know, it's like three chapters and real small. It's one of the, he's one of the, the minor prophets and when they have minor and major prophets. Uh, it's really, uh, you know, he's a minor prophet because his book is, it's smaller. So, you know, I'm glad they don't uh, identify pastors in that way. I don't want to be known as the minor pastor because I'm not as tall as the other guys, but uh, <laughs> it seems like kind of a weird way to go, but hey, that's how they did it. So the minor prophets. So, so Habakkuk, just for reference sake, was a, was a, a contemporary, contemporary of Jeremiah. So when you read the book of Jeremiah, Habakkuk was around and prophesying around that time. Same with Nahum and Zephaniah, also minor prophets. And so you have all, all around what, what is the, the, the fall of Jerusalem, what is the fall of the southern kingdom at the time. So at the time, uh, if you don't know your history, you have the northern kingdom, you have the southern kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom had already been taken over to fallen, off to captivity. You have the lower, the Judea, lower kingdom still, the Jerusalem was in there. And, and, and so you have, they're, they're, they're prosperous, they're prosperous, but, but also um, they kind of take a sharp decline and, so, uh, and, and become, things become desperate. And so this happens, the fall of, of Jerusalem was 587. And so Habakkuk wrote in the you know, 626 to 586 BC era, which is just right around that fall time. And so, and so I, I say that because it brings some background to be, to, to be thinking, okay, so, so this guy Habakkuk is writing when he saw amazing prosperity. Like they were, they were, they were, they had a lot, they were wealthy, they were prosperous and, and, and then, and, and kind of fell into the traps that come with that. And then they started declining quickly through, you know, lawlessness, through rebellion, but also because the Babylonian army was slowly coming down south and slowly surrounding their territories, just bit by bit, things are starting to close around them. So in that Time under those circumstances, you find Habakkuk. You find this, it's a short book, not a short guy. Maybe he was short, I don't know. Maybe that's why he's a minor prophet. I don't know how tall he was. But it's a very short book. But what's really cool about this book and what jumps out about this, which others don't quite have the same thing, is it really, it's a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. You'll see, you know, Habakkuk has a complaint. Then God responds. Then Habakkuk has, a, has another complaint. And then God responds. And then you have at the very end, Habakkuk's kind of like, hey, his final kind of you know, resignation, like, um, uh, you know, 
final prayer to God, if you will. And so it's, it, it, it's very simple. A lot of times when you look at the scripture, it seems very hard to try and diagram it out or figure out when this ends and when that it starts. And it's just, but this one is very, that's what jumped out to me because I'm, I'm very simple-minded. So I was like, oh, the first part says Habakkuk's complaint, great. Then the Lord answers him a few verses later. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. It makes sense to me. And so, but, what I, but in this simplicity and in this structure, we find a bit of reality that I think we can relate to in a very, uh, I think, important way, very important way. So we're gonna, let's, let's, with that kind of backdrop here, let's kind of dive into it a little bit. Um, and let's just look at the first, hey, Habakkuk starts complaining, verse one, right? <laughs> Habakkuk, we'll start in verse two and three. Habakkuk has this to say. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at all at the injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? You kind of get a sense here of what he's trying to get at. He doesn't really mince words, Habakkuk, at this point. He really just instantly, you, you, you see that there's a lot going around him that, that's wrong. A lot going around that as a prophet, as a man of God, he sees as problematic, he sees as destructive, he sees it wrong, and he's sitting here like, all right, Lord, where are you? Why are you putting up with this? I'm seeing violence, I'm seeing uh, rebellion, I'm seeing all these things. Where are you? Why do you allow this to go on? So instantly, you have this kind of almost emotional dump that, that Habakkuk has about what's going on. And so one of the first things I think we can kind of glean from this is that, you know, when we're in that, those hopeless scenarios that, that it's, it's okay to acknowledge your doubts and your fears. It's okay to, to acknowledge and have those prayers with God to be honest before God and just share, Lord, I'm just seeing a lot of stuff go on here that, that I don't understand why you're allowing it to happen. That's not relatable today, right? Everything in the news is like, hey, lady gets help across the street. You know, this person pays for their meal. No, 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 no. Kind of relatable. Not, you know, not writing to us, but however, I can understand where Habakkuk's coming from here. There's a lot going on here today that I'm like, why, Lord, is this happening? Now, here's, and specifically, though, what he was dealing with is uh, the, the Israelites had abandoned the Torah. Now, I don't say abandoned, it was still there, but they ignoring it, ignoring the teachings of, of, of Judaism. They just, they, they ignored it, weren't living it, living rebellious. You had, um, uh, not only did you have, you know, the, the ignoring Torah, but you had like, like people, like violence, like a lot of violence happening within the wall, you know, the, the city. It wasn't just, you know, there was a war going on, but also within themselves, they're fighting amongst themselves. And there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of injustice that's going on. They're rulers at the time. They had a good king, uh, had died. And so now you have, you have these kings that are all, they're just, they're having these lavish parties. They're having these, you know, a, a lot of uh, wine, a lot of alcohol, a lot of prostitutes, the whole bit, where they're just in their own little world, ignoring everything that's going, going on around them. You have the haves, you have the have-nots, and there's a small group that's in charge of the top, and and a lot of people at the bottom, they're just in this chaos. They're in the chaos. And so, and so Habakkuk sees all of this that's happening and says, and, and it's saying like nothing is happening. God is silent on this. Why on earth is this happening? And then God answers him. Just in, in verse five, we already get an answer from God, which is great. God says this in, um, in verse five, says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even 
if you were told. So God's response is, pump the brakes. I want you to watch, look and see. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open because something's gonna happen. I'm gonna do something and it's, it's big. It's, it's, uh, it's gonna be impactful. And in, in fact, God even says, you wouldn't even believe it even if I told you. And, and, and so we, we have this moment where, where of Habakkuk's honesty, his rawness, his frustration, and God's like, hold on, hold on, I got this. There's a plan in place, and it, it, it's a big plan. And then he actually goes on to explain his plan. God actually goes on to, to explain his plan, and, and a part of his plan, for whatever reason, a part of this does involve the nation of Israel falling at the hands of the Babylonians who are the ones that are surrounding them. So, so he explains this in his, his prayer back to Habakkuk. I, got, you know, I have a plan. I, I, I know what I'm doing, but, but here's what it's going to involve. It's going to involve these guys conquering you guys. And, and you know, that's, that's what's going to be. And so Habakkuk, um, you know, again, has another complaint because I guess that's what he's known for. Maybe it's like a doubting Thomas thing, right? Where you just, like, your whole life is a complaint. Thomas is all doubts. But he, he goes into uh, his second complaint here in verses uh, um, 12 and 13. He says, he says this. In response to Babylon being a part of that plan, which, is, which, which he thinks is just crazy, he says, you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish your eyes are too pure to look on the evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more, uh, more righteous than themselves? He's just saying like, okay, we're bad, God. I get it. I just told you we're bad, but these guys are worse. Like, like, like they're worse. They're, they're really bad. We're bad, they're really bad. So God, what on earth? Like you're, you're righteous, you're holy. You, have, you, you, have not, you should have nothing to do with the Babylonians. They're terrible people. I, like they're, they're do bad things. So why would this be a part of your plan? It's worse. Why would you even use them? And so he complains about his own people. They're bad. God, why, why are you putting up with this? Why could you just, God responds like, no, I, I got... I'm on it, I got a plan. He's like, well, I don't like that plan. Come on, get, get a better plan, God. I, got, I, I don't know if he, he had plans that he wanted to give God or not, but, but he's like, I got a better plan. Like, come on. And so it, it's interesting because he, 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 you know, still keeping in this, in this dialogue of, of kind of sharing his complaints, but then he gets, uh, he gets to another part. I think this, this is a good thing for us to grab as well, which is, uh, you know, we're in a hopeless situation that we can trust God even though we don't know what he's doing. That we can trust God even though we don't know exactly what's, what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's, it's that trust that involves us saying, okay, I don't need to know every single detail. I don't know if you know, have people in your life that just like whenever you got, are gonna do something or whenever you like are looking at something, they have to know every single like detail possible to it. And you're like, I don't know the color of the blinds in the hotel we're staying at. Okay, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, like it's just doesn't matter, you know. But like, like some people are like that. But like, like sometimes we don't know how God's going to work this thing out. Sometimes we don't know that, and we 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 have 
it's, it's okay to trust him even though we don't know all those details. And so we have, we have God responding again, again after this, in verse uh, two, or chapter two, verses three and four, says this. God starts with, with though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he's puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Okay, though it linger. In other words, hey, this thing may go longer than you think. You may have to have some patience, Habakkuk. You may have to, this may not be in the exact timeline you think. You need patience because this, uh, God's on a different timeline than, than we want him to be. But he says, wait for it. It will come. My plan will come exactly when I intend it to come. I don't like hearing that. Just full disclosure, I don't like that because it's like, well, but when? When can I plan on you rescuing me from this situation? I don't know if you're the same way. Sometimes it's so frustrating. We can't have all the answers. and We don't have the, the, all, all the things in front of us, the timeline that just says exactly what we're supposed to do and when it's going to happen. I, like, I want that. I want like the postcard with the itinerary on it, but that defeats the point, doesn't it? God's like, it, it, I, he's, it, it may feel like an eternity to you, but wait for it. He acknowledges that they, listen, they're puffed up, they're, they're, they're wrong, they're, they're gonna get theirs, but what, what the righteous person does, that last, that last line there, what the righteous person does, they live by faith. When you are, want to be in right standing with God, when you want to live in, in, in the right way that, that God sees fit, when you are living righteous, you live by faith. Trust, he's trust me, Habakkuk. I know what I'm doing. And so, and, and, and so Habakkuk's got this, this, this choice. Like he's aired his frustration. He shared it. He's been honest with it. I didn't like plan A. I didn't like plan B. But we get this, his response then to the whole thing, which was interesting. And we can, we can actually pull from this in our own lives, I, I think. And when we look at the chapter three, which is if you look at chapter three, it's all just kind of his response. But I'm just gonna pull out a little, a, a little bit of it. And I, I, I encourage you, you know, when you go home this week, get into it a little bit. That whole dialogue with God thing really makes it easy to, to consume and kind of understand. I'm gonna read a bit of it, chapter two, or verse two here of chapter three. I have heard of your fame, Lord. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. First thing he, he does, there's two acknowledgments here. There's two, there's, there's two acknowledgments. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you caught him or not, but he says, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, I have heard of your fame. The capital L-O-R-D, what that refers to is the name they use for God, which is in reference to, to how the, the Israelites out of the Exodus uh, uh, interact with the covenant God, the God that brought them out of, of captivity, Yahweh, the one who saved them. So when he says, when he uses that, that word, and we see all that means he's referencing, okay, I know the covenant that you made with your people, that you will always, uh, always be with them, that you always take care of them, that you have a plan for them, that they are God's chosen people. I know that. And I've heard of your fame. So two acknowledgments right off the bat there. He looks back and thinks, what has God done? Where has God taken us? What has he done for us? And he has done a lot at that point. 
He's done even more now. He did a lot back then. So as he's looking back, he's saying, all right, Lord, I remember what you've done. I've heard of your fame. I know that you've done amazing things. I know that you've taken care of your people. I know this. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Again, the same reference to the Lord. And he's, he, but then he's saying, okay, I, I understand this also. Do it again. Like, do it again today. Do it again in our time. And make known in wrath, remember mercy. So you have Habakkuk coming to this point of he's 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 kind of hey he's aired it he's had this almost like almost feels like just just kind of emotional dump where he's like all right Lord just you got okay but 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 God like like I get it Lord you I trust you you got this we can do it it's almost it, it reminds me a lot of the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane you know when Jesus is getting ready to go across he's like all right Lord you know take this cup from me I don't want to go through this but. But, you know what he says, that, you know, your will be done. And it's almost this, hey, I, I get it, I've shared, but I'm, but I'm still willing to go forward with it, Lord, if that's what it takes. Because I know how you've taken care of me. And so Habakkuk enters this, 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 uh, this kind of like great prayer at the end where he is, is like, all right, Lord, you are mighty, you are good, you've taken care of us in the past, and, and, and Lord, do it again. Do it again. You are, you are a big God and you can do this. And so kind of the, the, what I'll bring up kind of early is, is kind of the point of today, which is, which is this, which is that remembering what God has done and knowing what he will do brings hope. When we remember what God has done and we know what he's going to do, that brings us hope. That brings us hope. You know, Romans, I, I love the way it says it. He says, you know, um, and we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we know that God will, will, will work for good. Now, the problem is I have my definition of good and then God knows what's like actually good, right? There's that, there's that, that tension that we face between those two things. And so, so when, when we're talking about, you know, we're, we're really talking about resignation to, to what God's will is. What really kind of will, will, and just I'll speak for me personally, what I don't like is the overly, like, like, like unrealistically overly optimistic people who just can't, you know, acknowledge like that, ah, the house is burning down. You're like, man, but at least like we're gonna save on the heat bill. You know, something like, you have this like, you have this like optimistic, like, you know, and when it translates to faith, you have like, you know, just like a Pollyanna, Ned Flanders style, like, like faith where it's just like, what is happening? Like, you're not real. Like, you're not, you know, like optimism and, and, and hope are, are different things. Optimism and hope, there's, you know, optimism, we've got pessimists, we've got optimists, you sit in a glass of coffee and you're sitting here like, well, you know, the, the pessimist, why is half my cup gone? And the optimist like, man, I got a half a cup left, that's great. You know, so you have these like, it's like you, you're choosing to just be like happy and that everything in this scenario is, is great and everything is wonderful and it's just real positive. And hey, there are scenarios where that's great, that's wonderful you know, optimists are, are, are needed and there's a place, but, but there's a difference between that and hope. Hope is data-driven. That's what I say. Hope is data-driven. In other words, there's a reason why we hope. The Christian has hope like, like, like no one else has hope. 
The Christian has hope that's based and it's rooted in our faith and our trust in God and the future. It's relational. I have hope because I know who I'm, my hope is placed in. It's not, it's not blind. Rather, I know that I can, I can hope because of what God has done, what he's done in my life, what he's done in the past, what, 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 how he's taking care of his people. And I also uh, have hope because I know how he's going to take care of me in the future. I know how the story ends and that gives me hope. I know that, that this world is not my home, that this is not as good as it gets. This is not as good as it gets. Like, let that sink in for a little bit. You know, we, we whether, whether, you know, whether, I don't know what we chase in life, what you chase in life, but just know this. Like, everything here is, is, is worthless compared to heaven and compared to what God has planned for us for eternity. But we still have hurt and we still have pain here on earth. King David says in, in, in the um, infamous Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. I've read this verse at the bedside of dying people, of people who have experienced loss, you know, physical ailments, what, what have you. And there's so much comfort in knowing that, hey, even though I'm walking in, through a a tragic situation, through a terrible situation where, where, you know, the valley of the shadow of death, I don't want to go to that valley. You know, it sounds like a terrible place. But when we're in that place, it's not saying that, like, that it'll all of a sudden become, you know, uh, the valley of, of sunshine and rainbows. No, no, no. Even though I go through this, God's with me. And, and, and Dave's acknowledging even when life is hard and even when things are hopeless, God is still with me. He remembers in his most difficult times, David, that God has not left him, that God has not gone, that he, he is in fact there with him as he's going through this. And so I think that all the, all the struggles that you and I are facing, if we were all just to sit down and just say, hey, what, what's the struggle you're dealing with? I think we'd just be crying for days because like, there's a lot of heavy stuff that's happening. There's a lot of things in your life that, that aren't good that I wish we could explain away, but sometimes we can't. Loss of, of a loved one, you know, health, failures, uncertainty, the future, anxiety, stress. I mean, as I look around this world, the more we turn on a TV or, or open our web browser or our phones, we just see like just terrible news after terrible news after terrible news. Things that we once held on to as like our rock and things we can count on, you know, be it financial, be it political, be it whatever. With these things that we've held on to as like, these are unshakable, they're great, they bring us comfort, they bring us safety. All these, these things are crumbling. These things are, they, they, they are not what they used to be. They are not what we thought that they were going to be. But I, I, I can tell you this, that if our, if our hope is in Jesus, if our hope that will not crumble, that's not gonna fade, that's not gonna go away, that still stays the same. The economy goes up, up and down, you know, the political climate can go, can go every which way it wants to, but as long as my faith in Jesus is, is there, like I can at least have hope for the future because of that. Because I don't know what else to hope in, <laughs> right? I, like what else is there that lasts? Like there's it, hope, can be found in Jesus and, and really nowhere else. 
because I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not skilled enough to get out of this. I don't have enough resources to get out of this situation. Like whatever it is, whatever it is, we don't have enough for it. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote where he, he says, uh, he says, do not look to your hope, but to Christ, the source of your hope. My hope is not in me. My hope is not in you. <laughs> My hope is in Jesus Christ. And what that hope is, and where that hope comes from is that, is that uh, I put my faith in Jesus that he's got a spot for me in heaven. This is not my home. This place will fade away. This, this, this place is not as good as it gets. I wanna be with Jesus. You know, there's, there's I guess, you, I don't know, I guess you call it famous verse, right? We can, call, we can say verses are famous. John three sixteen, famous verse. Football games, you know, poster signs, there's athletes will put it on their little band-aids they put under their eyes or whatever those are never played football don't know why they do that it looks cool though and they put 316 on them sometimes and so we all see we've kind of seen it right if you don't have it memorized you might memorize it as a kid um, something we can recite some of us recite from memory just like kind of an autopilot but let's just pause a little bit I'm gonna spend some time on this okay I'm gonna read it it says for God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that who so whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, th- this is the key right here. This is it. You see, the very thing is that God loved the world. God loved the world. See, be- before we even knew what church was, before we were born, before, certainly before we even picked up a Bible or, or anything, like, like God loved us so much. He loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? It says in Romans. So, so God was the one who initiated this, this relationship. He loved us so much. How much did he love us? How did he show us this? Well, he sent Jesus into this world so, so you and I could be forgiven. He, sent, he, he came down from him, came off the throne, said, I'm gonna send my son here because these people are messing things up and they need a savior, Right, it's bad. It's, I mean, like we're good at messing things up as humans. We're sinners, right? In need of a savior. So, so God sends His Son Jesus to Earth, and and He, he can experience he experienced what what it was to you know to feel and to struggle and and pain and all, and, and all of those things. He loved us so much that he he came down to do that and get made fun of and get ridiculed. Can you imagine that? Like the the like He created the world, and someone's like making fun of Him. He made the world. I'm like thinking, okay, like that's that to be to to. Put yourself in that scenario. Shows a lot of love, doesn't it? Shows a lot of love that he would do that for us. He would send his son, Jesus, who was without sin, to die on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And the gift that comes from that, the last part there, that the, the whoever believes, they're not, we're not gonna perish, but we'll have eternal life. That's our hope. That you and I, though our bodies fail, our bodies betray us eventually. You start doing yard work, you know, the, the next day, you're like, what just happened? Like, when did I get this old? You know, like, your body just starts failing and it will fail and, and we will die and we will pass away. But putting our faith in Jesus, even though our bodies die, we are with him forever and that brings hope. I, I have hope no matter how bad this scenario down here gets no matter how much we mess this thing up, I know 
that I got a spot waiting for me with him because I put my faith in Jesus. I know that this is not, there's more than, than what's happening here. So, so remembering what God has done and knowing what he will do brings hope. That God cared so much. It's not that God doesn't care, right? We feel hopeless, but that doesn't mean God doesn't care. That means we gotta look back and see what, what has he done? How has he done it? Who is God and what's he going to do? By doing that, it gets us in the right direction, taking that step ahead. And I'm not saying by just, by just saying and thinking this that all of a sudden, boom, you're all fixed. And there's no more hopelessness. Like, no, no. As you're going through this, remember these things and you're, we'll be encouraged by it. I wanna read this verse in, in John. John 14 says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. This is Jesus talking here. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you also may be where I am. If that doesn't give you hope, I don't know. (laughs) Nothing can. That I'm hopeful because I know that Jesus died for me. He died for you. And if we just, we, we believe that, we put our faith in that, we, we, we understand, like, and accept it, we have a place. So I don't know the scenario that you're in right now. I don't know the hopelessness that you're feeling. I, I don't, I wish I could empathize with whatever that hopeless thing is in your life, but, but I know this, here's what I know that when we look back and see what, what God has done for his people, how he's been there, and when we know what's waiting for us in the future, I know that we can find hope in that. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't put your trust in him, this morning is a good morning to do that.